everyone. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned in to Trish Chat, a series that promotes meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real-life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Make sure to tune in every Monday to hear our latest episodes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Trish Chat. My name is Steph, and I am here with Jess. Say hello to the people, Jess. Hello, hello, hello. Caught her mid-sip of water. Yes, you did. Um, today we are joined by a very special guest, Eddie. Hi, so Eddie. excited. Hi. Hey. Um, Eddie is one of our best friends from high school. Yeah, he joins us all the way from New York. He came all the way here just to do this podcast <laughs> last minute. Exactly. <laughs> no lie. <laughs> no, we're super grateful to have Eddie here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Absolutely. Today's topic is something I'm super excited uh, for you to kind of dive into with us. Yeah, today we're talking about um, being Latinx in today's America. And we have wanted to cover this episode for quite some time. Uh, for the listeners, if you are out of, of the, out of the United States, in the United States, you've probably seen um, that it is a particularly difficult time. It's always a difficult time, but this time particularly difficult time um, to be Latinx um, in the United States when um, our communities are basically being vilified by the current administration. Um, and so we wanted to um, cover that. Uh, and Jess and I um, have infused a lot of that point of view um, in our episode. So we wanted to bring in um, a male perspective into this conversation. And that's where Eddie comes in. <laughs> I will say, um, you will occasionally hear a little whimpering in the background. It's not a sound effect. It is our puppy. We will do a another episode on the trials and tribulations of getting a dog and the things that one tells you, but that is not for today. <laughs> that is for another time. But if you hear whimpering, it's not a sound effect. It is a real dog. <laughs> Good old Baxter. <laughs> um, so Eddie, let's let's start by by talking about you. What was your upbringing like? Yeah, so, um, yeah, born and raised in New York. I am Mexican-American and actually grew up by, like, Gramercy Park um, in Manhattan up until I was about 15. Mm -hmm. um, it, went to public school all my life. And, um, yeah, I would say, like, my, my, my family was very um, focused on keeping me close to my culture yeah uh, my I had a ton of cousins and family out in like Queens and Brooklyn uh, just spread out the city um, but we would have to travel from Manhattan 45 minutes out to Queens just to go to you know go to the park with my cousin so yeah. like, that was my experience culturally um, but yeah it was just all family uh, up until I went up to school yeah I went to school in the Lower East Side all public schools and I was really removed from like other Mexicans, like other people that looked like me. Mm -hmm. uh, so Lower East Side is pretty much geographically, it's Asian, uh, Puerto Rican, uh, African American, um, little spread, little, little couple Jew, Jewish friends that I had uh, out there as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was two different worlds. So weekends yeah. I'd spend time with people that looked exactly like me. Uh, our parents all worked in the same jobs. Yeah. Then uh, when we went, when I went to school, it was I was completely like isolated. Dang, that's crazy. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. I didn't know that either. So like my best friend was, <laughs> yeah, he's Chinese. Uh, and yeah, we were really good friends till like elementary, junior high school. Oh, wow. that's so interesting because it just got me thinking about how we play so many different roles in life and we have to like enter and exit so many different of the roles that we play. So when you're talking about like weekends, you spent it with people that looked like you. And I'm pretty sure that that meant that you could be a certain way. And then uh, most of the time you spent it with people who didn't look like you and that I'm sure um, you had to be a certain way um, and play like a certain role in your life doing that. So that just got me thinking. It's just very interesting because we currently do that in our lives with like work, mm -hmm. families um, and whatnot. But um, I think you started touching on this already, but I want to I want to talk about like when you became aware of your identity and who you are and you being Mexican. So for me, for example, um, I grew up all around family. Like my grandmother lived downstairs. My grandmother's sister lived downstairs. My cousins lived downstairs. Like in an apartment. We basically all lived in the same apartment building. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> how did that happen? I, like family lived down the block. Like we all lived around each other. And I grew up around mostly Dominican and Puerto Rican people. And then we went to the same high school. Our high school was predominantly Latinx and black. And so I, I knew that the, of this word diversity and, and what everyone was talking about, but I never had to face myself as an other in the world because when I, when I traveled to school, I was amongst people who look like me and who had similar upbringings. When I went home, I was amongst people who looked like me. And it wasn't until I went to a predominantly white rich institution for college that I became very aware of my identity and how I stood out as an other amongst what the actual majority um, was. So long-winded explanation to ask, yeah. when did you first become aware of your identity? <laughs> so um, I feel like I always knew my identity being Mexican-American. Mm -hmm. um, I just knew the area I was growing up in or like the city I was like I was in at a very young age. It was completely different, super yeah. diverse. Um yeah, so my parents and had my my family had a Mexican restaurant on the Lower East Side between like eighty eight and like ninety eight, I think it was. Yeah. So like the first ten years of my life. And um luckily enough, like I grew up like running around the the restaurant and like my family was really well. The purpose of the restaurant was to, you know, cook Mexican cuisine and introduce it to um, the culinary world here in New York. Mm -hmm. But they did really well on like bringing the culture and bringing the music, the art, and stuff. So I ran around listening to all these um, songs and learning about all these um, these artists that yeah. are all around. Um, but it was funny because as I was learning, my family was bringing that culture, like my the people we were serving in that neighborhood were not Mexican or everything else. Yeah. So it was, it's a, it was a strange dynamic, but like, yes, early on, like I, like I knew my culture. I knew who I was. I see what you're saying. So I'm trying to, uh, phrase my thoughts into a question. How, how did your, um, your awareness of your identity and like that, 
culture that your family was bringing to the Lower East Side? Like, how did that interact with the like the consumers of that product, which were not Mexican? Um, different. I felt actually felt appreciated. Um, the, the restaurant in the '90s was like the top, like the number, like the number three restaurant, the best Mexican restaurant in New York City at the time. Like that's where the level of like yeah. cooking came from. Uh, reactions: uh, a lot of our consumers were white. Yeah. They'd come in, they'd drink, they'd eat, they'd you know. I felt like there was a culture exchange. If I and I felt appreciated. I see. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Jess? When did you become aware of your identity? Um, so when thinking about this, I just think about how often I moved as a kid. Um, so I grew up, the first eight years of my life, I was in Jackson Heights, Queens. And yeah. I went to school with um, white people. I, I don't recall having Latinx peers. Um and then I moved to Florida and it was very similar. And I moved back to Queens and it was kind of similar. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to Washington Heights yeah. where it's predominantly Dominican. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, Can't shake <laughs> you know, that kind of, you know, went into high school. And so you know, we all went to high school together. So we know that, uh, we went to school with Latinx and black people. Mm -hmm. Um, but the Latinx folks were predominantly Dominican and Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. And so in that instance, like prior to that, I had never had friends that were Dominican. Um, I knew that I was Latinx. Uh, my background is uh, Ecuadorian, Cuban, and Mexican. Um, but there, that wasn't the majority in high school, yeah. right? So I got introduced into this new uh, culture of Dominican people, and I felt like the outsider at first, mm. right? Because, like, none of my friends were any of what I was mm -hmm. with the exception of a few like eddie eddie being mexican mm -hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> mexicans in the house <laughs> um so i think that was the first time that it was really introduced to me that um of my identity not in a bad way but just that you know it's different yeah it was different and then you know i went away i went away to school in upstate new york where a lot of white people. And so I was the only Latinx friend a lot of people had in their life. And so that was kind of new for me in that um, they were, those folks were really, 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 really open about me being their only Latinx friend. Yeah. Um, so that was constantly in my face. It, yeah. Like they reminded me that I was their only Latinx friend. The token. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, that came with a lot of jokes and, um, you know, at the time I just, I didn't pay mind to them, but now that I think about it, they were, they were pretty racist. Um, a lot of microaggressions, huh? Yeah. They were just, they were, they were a lot. Um, and so 
Yeah, I would say that it was a combination of junior high school, high school, but then really in college. Um, yeah, that, that would be that would be my answer. And I never really thought about that until just now. So it's really interesting to say on this podcast right now. I did not. This is new news. This is net new information for me. I did not know this about you, but now you have a Dominican wife. So, you know. Yep. The plan worked. The plan worked. <laughs> they got you, girl. They got, got me. They got you. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting that each of us have had different journeys in terms of um, becoming more aware of our identities and the ways in which um, and the and the times in our lives in which those things happened. Um, one thing that I want to talk about. Um, I, I think we'll find more similarities amongst us and differences is how the concept of your identity has changed during the current administration. And so um, I want to preface this question by saying that the current administration has um, villainized the Latinx community, but very specifically Mexicans, um, calling them all sorts of rapists, whatever sort of vulgar mm -hmm. name you can think of. Um, that name has been placed upon the Latinx community, but particularly um, Mexicans. And we uh, we as a community have been completely dehumanized. Um, by this current administration, not only through their words, but also through their actions in terms of the crisis that we have going on at the border, where there's literally a humanitarian crisis going on right now. Um, and so I know that we've had these conversations where um, since this Cheeto took office, we have like really... Um, <laughs> There's a there's a lot of stuff. It's sort of like a, a third eye has been open in terms of a lot of of uh, suppression and and just shit that we've dealt with being Latinx that we sort of let slide from people before microaggressions that are now sort of more in our face. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to unpack that a little and and ask and talk about how the concept of your identity has changed um, ever since the, the Cheeto took office during this current administration. Yeah, Eddie, do you want to, like, start it off? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd probably... Yes, so I, I'll take a step back. Um, to your point about, like, your... You realizing your identification and being that one Mexican or the one friend, the mm -hmm. Latinx friend within... Um, a your sea of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I... It's so weird because I'm realizing now that I... So the Mexican restaurant closed back in 98. I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And after that, um, yeah, it was, I was the only Mexican in a lot of groups of friends that I had um, and the communities I lived in. I feel like I was disconnected from my culture um, once that restaurant like closed down because mm -hmm. I wasn't running around the restaurant with all this music and food going on. And not until I started working in... Um, in finance, um, I really was like one of the only Latinx people there and like yeah. the only Mexican there. And um, I, I don't know, like I felt completely isolated, like, um, yeah. And the jokes came around and all that. Yeah. So like that somehow like triggered, triggered me to kind of reach out and like go back to dig into my culture. Mm -hmm. um, and once this 
Cheeto um, <laughs> took office. Um, we were out, uh, we were attacked before he took off before he was elected. Um, I felt attacked. Um, I felt like my people were being yeah villainized, and it just at first it was I was just completely mad. Like I was completely upset, but it made me dig in deeper into my culture. Um, okay. I've learned more about myself uh, because I because. I feel like my goals has been attacked in the last three years mm -hmm. uh, more than I have ever in my life. Um, and yeah, like I feel like it's, it's scary. Like I, stuff that's going down in like the border and mm -hmm. stuff that's going down in, um, with our like immigration laws. Like it's, I feel more connected to my people. Yeah. And, like, I feel like I have to somewhat help. I feel like I have to do something. More than ever. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I I think everybody knows that I'm so proud of being Dominican. I love being Dominican. Really? It is one of the biggest blessings that I've ever had. I've in my never life. heard you say that. Lo plátano, lo mango. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> we just have such a rich culture. Um, but I think that I was. Um, very kind of siloed in that in terms of being Dominican and being so proud of being Dominican. And I think that in this current administration, I, I've sought more of being an ally to the full community in the sense of, you know, I'm not only Dominican, I'm Latinx. And um, I, as, as well as uh, Mexicans, Hondurians, Ecuadorians, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, like we share an experience and we, we share a story particularly you know, those of us who are first generation in terms of um, our upbringing and sort of the things that we've had to go through in terms of navigating two cultures, mm -hmm. um, being American, being, you know, Dominican, being Puerto Rican, being mm -hmm. Ecuadorian, whatever it may be. And so there's a lot more similarities between us. And I think I've I've become, not that I wasn't in the community as much, but I think I've become more in love with um Latinx people in general and the different yeah. the differences that we bring together into this beautiful thing that we call um, Latinx and you know how you think just questioning to myself how I can be more of an ally because you know while all Latinx people are being villainized and crime rates against um, the Latinx community have in, have increased re who's really being targeted right now are um, Mexicans um, and South and Central Americans and so. You know, for me, it's like I I I want to stand up for those communities because they are a part of my larger community, and that's that's sort of where I've been since this like administration has has taken place. But something that also really resonated with me, which um, Eddie, you said not 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 here, but when you know, you said it in the past couple of years, is um, even the jokes in passing that um, that people have made who who have been Latinx and in in things that we say like, oh, you work so hard, you're working like a Mexican and, and things like that, which some people think that, it, that, oh no, that's a compliment because, you know, Mexicans work so hard. Um, but it's just like the idea that that has to even be a joke or that that even has to be a comparison and how hurtful 
um, that is. I think that that's also stuck in my mind in terms of me thinking about how we in the Latinx community can sometimes like exclude each other depending on our nationalities, like the different things that people say, whether, you know, it be, oh, you work so hard, um, you're working like a Mexican or like Dominican people don't speak proper Spanish or things that we say to each other that just like are not helpful. And But there's particularly not helpful in a time when we should be like banded together because of all the oppression that we're facing at this at this current time. Long-winded answer. That was a great answer. You both gave a great answer. Um, I, I echo both of the things that you both said. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely, you know, caused me to find more similarities amongst all the nationalities. But I think also what it's done for me, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's really kind of what you were talking about, about the jokes and the, just thinking about um, the communities and the people I'm surrounding myself around and like, you know, is this important to them? You know, it's yeah. made me really, really hone in on like, um, who am I surrounding myself or like around and are they supporting this crisis? Because it is like yeah. what this administration is doing to our community, to many communities, many communities, many not communities, just yeah, the Latinx community, yeah. um, Muslim community, yeah. people of color, LGBTQ, all that. Yeah. It's like, it's really made me take pride in who I am, not only as a Latinx person, as a queer person, but just as like an ally to all people. And mm -hmm. it's really made me think and, and, and ask myself, like, am I showing up for all these communities um, the way I want people to show up for me right now. Yeah. Because right now I think that the Lennox community needs allies mm -hmm. during this, you know, like if you, if you are a, uh, if you support Trump at this point in time, I just can't talk to you because it doesn't come down to politics anymore. These are human rights. People, children and fucking families are being separated. Not given food, water. This is not, like, this is a human rights issue. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't be that Latinx folks don't get the same rights that other people do. And so it's really made me question about, like, why are not more, why are not more people talking about this? Why are more people not doing something about it. It makes me so angry. Um, so I know I'm kind of going away from that, but I think it's important to say that like, this has caused me to be, yeah, maybe I'm more sensitive to it, but it's yeah. also because it's real shit. Yeah. It's people's lives. There's fucking children sitting by themselves, yeah. not knowing if they're going to see their parents ever again. Yeah. And people are over here to like, Trump 2020. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, so it's, it's really just made me think even deeper into like, to Eddie's point, like, what more, can, what more can I do? Can, you know, this podcast is one thing Like, we can talk to people about this, but what are we doing to like change this? So that's my long winded answer. So this is like a little bit of a sidetrack, but I also... Just in like a lot of reflection, I, um, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, 
um, I've talked about this many times. I don't have a relationship with, with my family. I don't have a relationship with my parents, but in, in just really thinking about looking at the faces of, of all of these people who, um, are at the border and are detained and, and looking just really feeling their pain, but also looking at them and just understanding that like these people are sacrificing their lives for a better future for their kids, right? Like just think about the ultimate sacrifice that anybody can make. And that is to leave everything behind mm-hmm. for a better future. That's not even guaranteed. And I'm crying. Cause it's just like, it, it really, I feel that as much as I don't have a relationship with my parents, it really makes me appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate sacrifice that these people are doing for their kids. Yeah. I agree. So. Yeah. Um, but that, that was just like an aside in terms of just something that I, I, I feel very deeply in terms of like appreciation and, mm-hmm. and, and gratitude and just something that makes me upset because, you know, my life would have been completely different if my parents were detained at, oh, yeah. you know, and I was separated from them or they chose to stay in Dominican Republic because, you know, it was too dangerous to come here and they had fear that they were going to die or be mistreated or be separated from us. Um, my life would have been completely different. And for some people, they're leaving because they're taking that risk because they're going to die from violence in their, in their, in their own countries, in their home countries. And so, um, it, it, it really saddens me that, you know, these kids, they could have that, those same opportunities that, that I had, that you had, Eddie, that you had, they could be sitting here 20 years from now being the, the just wonderful, amazing human beings who are thriving, Mm -hmm. um, because their parents were, were, were given that opportunity to, to work, to, to provide their kids a better life. Yeah. And that crushes me to just to see that these kids are, they're already going through a lot of trauma. Yeah. Like they were, mm-hmm. they're being separated from their parents for months at a young age, at a very young age, they're leaving school and their parents are detained, nowhere to be found. Yeah. So, um, I, I just want to, I want to throw in a, a quick question that I, I didn't, I didn't ask before, but I guess in, in thinking about all of this, I, I want to ask each of you, like for you in, in one, two, three words, what does it mean to be Latinx in this current political climate? <laughs> two or three words? Two to three words. Frightening. Traumatizing. Prideful. Strange as it sounds. Like I'm way more prideful than I've ever been. Um scared as well for people who are who are immigrating here to to the States. Yeah. It's all these emotions. It's sorry. So prideful, scared. Yeah. yeah. You? I I I definitely I, I the word resistance comes to mind when I um 
what I think about this and it's because we, the three of us and, and you know, a ton of other people in our communities have privilege to resist um, and to fight back against what's going on to people who are um, being detained, to people who have crimes committed against them just because they are Latinx and walking down the street. Um, we have that privilege to resist and to um, work to change um, the current political and, and social structures and even economic structures that are causing all of this. Um, I also, there's also fear. Um, there's also pride um, in the sense of sort of a reawakening of wanting to really understand, you know, our heroes, our history, um, the rich culture that we come from and how um, a lot of that has been appropriated by mainstream white culture um, and how a lot of things that um, we looked up to that we thought were cool originally came from us. Yeah. Our ancestors did no, that. That's a good point. Our ancestors did that, right? Like, Yeah, we were just in that bookstore earlier today and I was just thinking like, man, like I just want to dig deeper into like our roots, like find books that talks about this stuff because you're right. Absolutely. There's been a lot of stuff that we haven't learned about. And I, I had the privilege and in, in Jess knows like we have a, a bookshelf and like most of the books are my books from college. And I really enjoy taking Latin American and, and Latin American history courses. And so I learned about like the Zapatista movement, the Sandinistas, uh, like the wow. revolution in Cuba. Like I learned about all that stuff. And so I've always been very interested in this. Like I will I will debate people who are shitting on Fidel Castro. And I'm like, well, let's talk about all the atrocities the U.S. committed against Cuba. Um, so I, for me, it's always been important to understand the history of our peoples. Um, but I also think that with having um, a black president, I, I would say that I did get complacent in the sense of like, you know, we're, we, we're doing things, we're doing things like still a lot of racist people out there, but we're doing things. And now it's kind of been like, what the fuck? Like we didn't do shit. Um, there's a lot, there's like, this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. History is happening right now. Like this is the shit that we, that we read about when we're like, this tragedy happened. Like, can't believe it. That happened. No, this happening right now. Yeah. And it's so important for people to like know that. It's important to know your history. No. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Like, I recently ran into a documentary I watched about Cesar Chavez. Yeah. Um, and his movement out here in California. And I knew of him, just stories, family and stuff, but I never truly understood, understood the impact uh, that he had for just basic work, like, employee rights for farmers yeah um i oh totally i'm totally gonna butcher this but essentially what cesar chavez along with dolores um i forget her last name dolores huerta we brought up last uh last episode Steph's new hero yeah <laughs> he did phenomenal things woman. he did phenomenal phenomenal things for um for farm workers who were like predominantly, it started off with initiative um, to get 
basic rights for farm workers who were predominantly Mexican yeah. back in the 60s, 50s, 60s. And we partnered up with like the, Phil uh, the Filipino um, immigrants who were also working on the farm. And that's how like they build more awareness and they build like strength. But after protesting, after going on strike, after boycotting um, certain producers out in, here, here in California during that time, um, farm workers, they were able to get laws passed that would protect farm workers' um, basic, basic rights. And we're talking about bathrooms, an inc a slight increase in pay, and just more like... Yeah, because they went without rights. like a raise for like years. I remember hearing I that. It was like five or six years. It's insane. Um, and this was during the 60s. This movement got Bobby Kennedy from Northeast out to support um, that movement here. Um, I believe in the story, it was Cesar Chavez went all the way. He was man of the year back in 90, 1960, well, one of the years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and like I hear, I'm learning about, I'm learning, I'm fascinated with the 60s. Um, and this is a story that I don't feel has been in, mentioned when it comes to that movement. Mm -hmm. That decade was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these are the stories. These are the heroes that I'd like people should know about. Yeah. I think that in a time where Latinx people are constantly being um, degraded um, by the administration, where there's an increase in hate crimes against our communities and where um, it just all around feels like people, the administration are trying to tell us that we ain't shit it's so incredibly important to know our history because our history is very rich. Yep. Um, and we've had a lot of heroes um, and just like a lot of amazing people that have paved um, the way for us. But we don't, we don't learn that type of stuff in school. Cause we're, we're taught to like, it's dangerous. Oh yeah. It's dangerous, but we're taught to like, look at, white people as the heroes yeah like john Leguizamo said in his his play or, or his uh comedy skit yeah like his son was asking about his heroes and he was saying a bunch of white people and he's just like dude i don't know shit about my history yeah and it forced him to go back in time and like look at that stuff so yeah i i believe it's so important and i'm i'm practicing what i'm preaching and that's like my next thing to really look into that yeah. it is important and also to check people on their shit yeah. Don't come at me, bro. Don't come at me. I know the facts. Let me pull out my fact sheet. My one sheeter. <laughs> one sheeter. Um, I want to close off by talking um just some some action items. And so I wanna ask each of us to go around um and say two things. One is um what message do you want to send to the Latinx community um right now at this current moment? And how can um, those who are not Latinx be allies to our community? Yeah, I, I guess I can go first. Um, you know, the words I would say to the Latinx community right now is like, lean on, lean on your community, lean on each other. Um, 
I know it's so hard right now with how like everything is, but speak up about what you're feeling. You are not alone in that feeling. If you're, if you're scared, if you're angry, if you're sad, uh, if you're prideful, whatever it is, like speak up, talk to, talk to your community, talk to your, your cousin, your friends, like let them know how you're feeling because you are not alone. Um, and it's so important to, um, say those things out loud and also just, you know, join forces with people and just like, again, talk about all this stuff and what can you do? If, if it's yeah. something that you feel like you need to be doing more, how you can help, then like start asking questions, do your research, like get out there, use the privileges that you have right now to help those that don't, who are stuck at the border, um, get out and vote. Me and Eddie were talking about this earlier. Get out and vote. You you want things to change? Then you need to start educating yourself and your communities to get out there and doing that because we need to change what's happening right now. We're not it's not going to be a flip of a switch, but if 2020 we can change who's sitting in that seat to change the way we're viewed. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the other question um, how can other folks be uh, allies to our community um, don't assume that you, you know what your friends are going through or the people around you are going through don't assume that they're okay because they're smiling or you are or they're not showing any signs of exhaustion or they don't bring it up like call your friends ask them how they're feeling about this ask them what you can do to be an ally to this um think about it when you're voting (laughs) um same thing goes for like it, it just it's so it's so deep it's so deep it's like where's your dollars going Yep. Where's your dollars going? Are you supporting these organizations or these candidates or, you know, anything around this that is oppressing our communities? Like, what can you do? Like, ask your friends what you can do to be an ally. So I just don't stay silent anymore. Just remember that, like... Silence is compliance. Silence is compliance. And I just always think about this and think, like... You get to go to work and go back home to your families. Not everyone has that privilege. Literally. So check yourself when you're fucking, when you're watching the news and you flip the channel because it's not convenient for you. Because it's too sad to watch. Or it doesn't affect you. Yeah. Right? Because we tend to only speak up about things that only affect us when it's directly impacting our life or someone we care about. And it shouldn't be like that. We are all human beings and we should all care for each other. And everyone deserves the same right, no matter if you are brown, white, Latinx, anything. You, we all deserve the same right. So why is it that our communities have to suffer because of the way we're being betrayed? Mm-hmm. So show up. Just show up. Yeah, That would be it for me. Um, 
I would say to Latinx people um, and uh, all oppressed and marginalized groups, um, if you're feeling the weight of the world right now, if you are just feeling tired, rest because it is a lot to live in this current climate with this current administration. Um, but also uh, learn your history. Um, get out there and vote as, um, as Jess said, and not just in the presidential election, but there are lots of other elections that we all ignore because we think that they're not important, but they actually are important and they make a difference. Um, so, you know, let's be very involved in terms of changing the future, um, of this country. Um, like Jess said, su support each other, be there for each other. Um, and to all others, I would say, um, in, you know, the best way for you to be an ally to our um, community is to do the work. And I think the biggest thing is just do your, do your research, um, like vouch, vouch for people. Do not allow, um, xenophobia, do not allow racism, do not allow that to happen under your watch. Um, and that's happening everywhere. That's not just somebody, you know, yelling or assaulting a Latinx person in the street. That's also happening at work when mm. Latinx people are being shut, shut out when Latinx people are being microaggressed against. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's, that's where we're going with this. Yeah. Um, do the work understand where your dollars are going there are companies that are benefiting from this wall that 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 one is wanted to be built like there are companies that are investing in this that want this to happen who who are those companies mm -hmm. who are those companies don't give them your money who are companies that are benefiting from people being detained at the border don't give them your money yeah and a good point on like the work side like because there are things you can do right now at work. Right. It's like people need to people need to know that um, it is much harder for me. I'm going to speak for myself. It is much harder for me as a Latinx woman to speak up in a meeting than it is for a white man. Yeah. And so thinking about just that and then all the trauma that's happening right now and all the shit that's going on like just just there's so much more that goes into the way someone is at work or in any in, in scenario than just being a hard worker and like telling them hey you just have to show up differently like no there's layers to this shit mm -hmm. there's so many layers to my identity intersectionality and all that shit but let's not even talk about the trauma that has been going on in my life, maybe compared to someone else that maybe not had the same amount of trauma or, or yeah. has way more privileges than I. So yeah. you can definitely do things right now at work in social settings that can help. Yep. Yeah. What about you, Eddie? Yes. So, uh, first question was what would I tell Latinx community? Um, in today's climate, I think first you're beautiful. Like our cultures, everybody, a lot of people can say this, but like I love being Latinx. I love being Mexican. Um, our culture is so rich. Dig into that. Learn more. 
um, dig into the history, like it's it's more gorgeous than you know than, than you know. Yep. After you get to that step of your your own self love, um, yeah, acknowledge that there is an attack on the Latinx community um, in multiple ways, and this administration made it clear. Um, it has brought out the ugly side or just like the real side of a lot of people in America. And we've, we're just now getting like the mask is off of these, uh, uh, like from these people. Um, and just be more hyper aware of conversations or when your fellow Latinx member is, um, is in a meeting, it's getting shunned, is being like quiet down, like speak up for them, like mm-hmm. step up, do something, you like correct that like behavior. Absolutely. Do not let yourself um be put down. Yeah. So that that's what I would start with. Yeah. Those two. Um and uh yeah, so I vote <laughs> get out there and vote. Like we're politically getting attacked. So go do something about it. Learn about the candidates. Learn about them. Um, so yeah, that, that so I have to say with that. And then, um, what would I tell? The, what was the second question? What would I tell? What would you tell um, other folks who are not part of our community and how they can be allies? Um, how can you be allies? I. <laughs> our people again are clearly getting attacked. Uh, down at the border um, and across the country just reach out ask about how they feel about certain topics that are going on Um, if you truly want to know and want to be an ally start that conversation it's as simple as that Mm -hmm. Um, you don't know how I feel Um, and you don't know yet what you can do. So if you do stay quiet about like certain like these topics and I <laughs> we share meals together. Mm-hmm. Like I like I yeah. Yeah, follow through. Take the bid. That's what you've been saying. <laughs> Take the bid. Oh, Take man. the bid. Um and I, I would I would um I would also say if you are one of those people, because I've talked about this a lot, if you're one of those people that is asking, well, why aren't people just waiting their turn and coming here legally, Um, which just aggravates me so much, um, I, I urge you to understand all of the imperialism and all of the extraction and all of the violence that has been created um, in Latin America. <laughs> that is forcing people to come to the United States. So learn that history as well. Yep. Damn, that this shit got fucking deep. This shit got real. <laughs> I cried con mocos y todo. <laughs> no, this is super important stuff to talk about, and I'm glad that we, we were able to share in conversation about this, and I hope that our listeners, I hope you all really take take something away from this and um, maybe one not feel as alone, um, but also just how we can be showing up better for each other. Yeah. Um, because it's so important. It's so important. 
Yeah. Um, and I would say I, I want to, um, I just said, learn about that history. I want to recommend the book, something tangible. Um, if you are curious as to why people are coming here, um, read, um, the open veins of Latin America by Eduardo Galeano. I'll just leave it at that. Um, read that and yeah, that, that should give you a lot to think about to noodle on. It's a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite for conversations with me. Just kidding. Yeah. No, this is awesome. Thank you, Eddie, for coming to California. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate <laughs> you for, for being like a part of this conversation. Yeah. And your voice sounds great on here. You should definitely do more podcasts. <laughs> Starting my nose right when I get home. <laughs> Eddie's going to order all of the equipment and just record <laughs> he, he already did. for himself. It's already on its way. He's going to record <laughs> things for himself. Good morning, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> today is uh friday october 3rd and you're gonna have a great day <laughs> or friday october 4th and you're gonna have a great day yeah yeah no we really do appreciate it eddie um I love being here yeah this is Thanks eddie's one of our, our 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 biggest supporters so this is super special uh to have him on here um, yes and now he's on his way back to new york so we'll make sure you get on your flight <laughs> yeah um awesome well thank you everyone for listening we really appreciate you always make sure to check us out on instagram trish.chat um and share with your friends with your family you know get this out there um it's so important to share share the the knowledge yes thank you for listening until next time peace bye